There is a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. We have to look to God in our time of trouble. Stop trying to barter with the Lord. God can do anything. We've got to believe that today. And understand that Jesus is King and Lord, and He knows what is best for he you. He did everything that He needed to do. His final words are, it is finished. So, praise God. All right, let's take our Bibles. I'm not going to take long. I'm going to take about 20 minutes this morning and just share about apostolic centers. What is an apostolic center? What is apostolic? Apostolic is characterized by at least eight things. I'm going to be looking at the, as a template, as a prototype, the church in Antioch is delineated in Acts 13. I'm going to go there in just a moment. But I want to share with you guys a story. It's a story that some of you have probably never heard before, maybe all of you. But it goes back to about three and a half years ago. Lynn and I were living in the United States of America. We're from Canada. We were living there at the time. And one day we were, we just knew that a transition was coming. We had pastored, but for about eight years we were traveling, itinerating full time. We had a school of ministry in the state of Florida. And we just sensed in our heart that God was transitioning us into a role where we would be in a church and part of a leadership team. That's all we knew. We didn't know what that would look like. So we began to pray, and then the Lord spoke to us about Asia, and he spoke to us about Australia. There were prophetic words by people in America that actually said, God is calling you. There were some of them that said Australia, and some said Asia. And then we realized now that it's both that God brought us here. And of course, Perth is so strategic as a gateway. So we thank God that Acts 1.8 says that we are called to be witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea. So what is Jerusalem? Perth, right? What's Judea for us? WA, all right? Samaria, all right? Now, we can talk about those are other cultures, those are other people groups, or those are other states, whatever. And then where? To the ends of the earth. That's the will of Jesus that we would receive the power of the Holy Spirit, every one of us, for the purpose of being witnesses. Witnesses. That's what it said. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. This thing was never meant to be kept to ourselves. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're called to reach other people. That's what it's all about. Here, locally, and overseas as well. We'll get into that in greater detail. So Lynn and I, we're talking, we're praying. What is it that God has put on our heart? So we said, we came up with four characteristics, four things that we felt God told us that we were going to be involved in facilitating in the next phase of our ministry assignment. The first thing would be that we would have a church of all nations and generations, an ethnically diverse church, and a church that, in terms of age, would also be diverse. We also felt that God was saying it would be a place of prayer, a place where people would really focus and be intentional on prayer. Prayer is so important. Amen? Jesus said his house is called a house of prayer for all nations. And then we would also have a school of ministry, be equipping and training people to know who they are in Christ, 
to live out their calling, their destiny, to use the gifts God has given to them. And some of them would even go to other nations. And that would be the fourth element, which would be an apostolic mission center, a place where people are raised up, trained, equipped, and even go out to the nation. So we would be, the word apostolic, apostle or apostolic comes from a Greek word that means to send out. That's what it means, to send out. So when we say we're apostolic, it means we send people out. We are sending people out. Now, we are sending people locally. Every one of us needs to have that mindset. We're an apostolic people. We're called to go out into the highways, the byways, and compel people to come into the kingdom. We're called to reach people with the gospel. That's what it means to be apostolic. If we are just showing up on Sunday and doing our services, us four and no more, we're not apostolic, no matter what the name says on our sign. We've got to be engaging in the harvest wherever we go. We've got to be reaching people, and we've got to be be intentional about going out and even sending out. So it's a place where we would equip and train people. And I believe that God has brought us to a place where that is going to happen. We are going to plant churches in Australia. We are going to plant churches, additional churches in places in Perth where there is not a witness of the power of God and the gospel in an uncompromised way. We're going to do it. How? God. All right? Now, so we're praying. Leaders, right? Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth more workers. So we're praying. Right, people, in your timing, send them out, Lord. Send them out. Release, raise them up, release them, help us to be able to do this. We're also believing that God has called us to plant churches in an ongoing basis in other nations as well. So this is what it means to be apostolic. The bottom line is the church in Antioch, as described in Acts chapter 13, is actually probably the best example in the New Testament of what I've just described, of an apostolic center. Now we say, well, what about the church in Jerusalem? And, you know, Acts chapter 2 through 5, it's, the problem with the church in Jerusalem was that the church in Jerusalem was a homogenous church focused on reaching its own people And in fact, they were so content to not go out beyond Jerusalem that the Lord had to send a persecution to shake them up and to send people out. It's interesting when you look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which says, You will receive power to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. Start there, but don't stop there. Go to Judea. Go to Samaria and go to the uttermost parts of the earth. But the Jews had a problem. You mean to the Gentiles? So they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't, they didn't obey God. And then this persecution breaks forth. Stephen is stoned. Paul, or as he was called Saul of Tarsus at that time, is involved in this persecution. He's, he's persecuting people. He's dragging off Christians and putting them in prison because he has authority from the high priest to be able to do this. And when Stephen is being stoned, he's holding the jackets of those who are doing it. And he encounters this amazing uh, revelation where he sees Jesus later on on the road to Damascus. And Jesus interrupts his life and Jesus calls him to preach the gospel. 
And it's all as a result of a persecution that took place. And if you invert Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, you will see there that this persecution came as a result of them not being willing to go out and reach others with the gospel. So God said, if you won't go forth and send people out intentionally, I will force you out. And I mentioned this, I preached a message um, called uh, basically about this. In, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus called the, his disciples to him. The Bible says that he might send them out. And the word means is the Greek word apostolos, or we get apostle or apostolic from it, so that they would be sent out. But interestingly, the, there's another word used, and it actually is the word ekbalo, which means to kick out, to force out, to drive out. And it speaks of this fact that sometimes if we won't listen to God and go out and do what he's called us to do, God will create circumstances in our life to kick us out, to force us out, to move us out. How many know what I'm talking about? We get comfortable. We get set in our ways. We don't want to move into our next assignment. So what does God do? Dries up the brook, changes our circumstances, and he's like, okay, if you won't go by choice, I'll push you out. Like the, the eagle that takes the mother, uh, the, the mother eagle that takes the, the eaglet and, and takes that and pushes it out of the nest. Because why? It would fly, l- jump out on its own and, and start to fly. So the mother eagle has to push that baby out. And there are times when all of us go through that in our lives where God is saying, you're comfortable, you're set in your ways, you're entrenched, you're not listening to me, you forgot about my original commandment to reach other people with the gospel, and we become complacent in our own ways, and we become focused just on rejoicing in our salvation, but we've forgotten that God has called us to reach people in our city and in our nation and in the nations of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if he won't, if we won't do it, we don't know what he's going to do because he loves people too much. So what he does is he uses the death of his servant Stephen to force these people out. What an amazing story. Now, I want us to look at the passages of Scripture here. You can write these down. We'll be referring to them. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, the 11th chapter, verses 19 through 26, and then the 13th chapter, 1 through 4. All of these verses speak about the church in Antioch. I'll be referring to these in just a moment, okay? Now, the beginning I've already mentioned. The church in Antioch in in Syria was actually not started by the apostles. Do you realize that? So I want to look at eight characteristics of an apostolic center. Eight characteristics of an apostolic center. And we're going to be uh, using the church at Antioch as our prototype. Let me talk a little bit about the city of Antioch and the church there. The city of Antioch, which is, there's actually few different Antiochs recorded in the Bible. The two main ones are Antioch in Syria, 
That's the one we're referring to this morning. And then there's another place called Pisidian Antioch. Antioch in Syria is actually today, what we call Syrian Antioch is actually today a city in modern-day Turkey. So this particular place in the Roman Empire, in the times of the Bible, was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. The first largest city was Rome, the second was Alexandria in Egypt, and then Antioch. It was a very significant city. There was at least 500,000 people that lived in that city from various nationalities. It was an ethnically diverse city. It was very cosmopolitan. And interestingly, when you study what the cities of the Roman Empire were like and how they were constituted demographically, there's the exact same thing is happening today in our society. Urbanization is what we call it, where people are moving from the country. You know, it used to be 100 years ago that 20% of our population in our Western nations lived in the in the city and 80% in the country, but today it's the exact opposite. It's flipped. There's 80% live in the city and 20% in the country. This is urbanization. And there's never been a time in history when the days of the Romans until now that we've had a similar thing happening. If you go from the days of Rome throughout history, we, we, there's no example of, of cities being so large and so ethnically diverse. The Romans were the ones that constituted these great metropolitan areas, and today the same thing is happening. So today, we're more like Rome, the Roman Empire than ever before in history. Interesting, isn't it? So in the church in Antioch, you've got Romans, you've got Greeks, and a large Jewish population. Now, when we talk about Romans and we talk about Greeks, listen, there's also people that are considered African there, okay? Cyrene is part of, of, of North Africa or modern-day Libya. We'll see that in the leadership team of the Church of Antioch, there were people from there. There's a man who is from a place called, of Niger, which many believe is Nigeria. He was an African. Niger in the Greek language means black man. So he was from Africa. This was a diverse city ethnically. There were walls or partitions to separate the people one from another. They built these walls. So the Greeks, they lived here. The Jews, they lived over here. And the Romans, they lived here. The Africans, I'm not sure. But they all lived in different parts in different places. And they really didn't mix together because of the different cultures they kept to themselves. But when the gospel penetrated Antioch, something happened. Something amazing happened. The people who went forth and preached the gospel in Antioch, we know were not apostles. This was a body ministry. This was a lay movement, in other words. This is our first characteristic. It says in Acts chapter 8, that as a result of the persecution of Stephen, they were scattered everywhere and they went preaching the gospel. But who is they? It says everyone except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The lay people, the people that we would look at on a Sunday morning that are sitting on the chairs, these are the ones that went out and began to preach the gospel everywhere. And when they came to Antioch, initially they began to speak to Jews. Why? 
because we got to reach the Jews, right? There are people. These are the people we're used to. These are the people we're comfortable with. And to the Jew first, we recognize that in Romans 1, 16. But understand this, that eventually they started sharing the gospel with others. They started sharing the gospel with others. And what takes place is it's not only Jews, but initially we begin to see more people reach with the gospel, Gentiles. But here's the thing. Here's the city. It's partitioned up into quarters. When God begins to move in the city, what takes place is the Christians say, hey, you know what? There is no racial barrier. There is no diversity between us to hold us back. And they literally begin to climb the walls to go fellowship with one another. Isn't that awesome? So the Jews, the Romans are climbing the wall, the Roman Christians that are getting saved, the Jews that are getting saved, they're climbing the walls, they're going into each other's homes, they're mixing together. The walls in that sense are not keeping them from one another and they're fellowshipping not based on their demographic, their language, or their culture, but now on their new identity in Christ. Awesome. Now remember, the Bible says that in this city of Antioch, this is when followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Now some people have said, well, that means many Christ. Well, there's a sense to that. Some people have said, well, that was a derogatory term uh, you know, speaking about them in a negative way. But I want to submit to you a different position this morning. I want to submit to you something because the Bible says that when we become one in Christ, the middle wall of partition is removed. Come on. And he makes out of all the different people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he creates one new man in him. That one new man is called Christian. So they didn't know. What are we going to call these guys? They're not Jews. They're not Greeks. They're not Africans. They're, they're, they're mixing together, but yet they're a separate people. They're distinct. So they, they decided we're no longer just going to have Africans, Jews, Greeks, and Romans. We're going to have to create a new category. We don't know what to call these guys, so let's call them Christians. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So I want you to understand that, first of all, when God be decided enough is enough, the world has to hear the gospel. It's not just enough that the Jews in Jerusalem hear the gospel. You've got to take it to the far-flung corners of the earth. He sent forth, not the apostles, but he sent forth his body. He sent forth the average person, the lay person, whatever term you want to use, and he sent them forth, and they began to preach the gospel everywhere they went. As I mentioned, number two, this was a multi-ethnic or cross-cultural community. Not only was the, dem the, con you know, the, the, the demographics of the city diverse that way, but look at the leadership team. The leadership team, as we look at these scriptures, Acts chapter 11, 19 through 20. Now those who were scattered traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyprus, of course, is an island, right? And Cyrene. Cyrene is actually a city in what is now Libya in North Africa. Who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. So they didn't just go to the Jews. 
but they decided to preach the gospel to the Greeks, the heathen, whatever term you want to use. These are the ones that worshipped idols. Right? These are the ones that were involved in pagan worship. So God begins to reach these people to begin to save them, to begin to deliver them and set them free. And then we see in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, the leadership composition of the church. It's very diverse. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. That's interesting. Prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas. Barnabas, interestingly, is originally from Cyprus. So he's more uh, have that Hellenistic Jewish uh, background. Then there's Simeon, who is called Niger, or the black man. So Simeon is most likely from a part of Africa, maybe Nigeria. And then there's Lucius of Cyrene. So this guy is from where? North Africa also. All right. Manian, who had been brought up with Herod okay, and Saul. So what a diversity. You've got Greeks, you've got Romans, you've got Jews, and you've got Africans. And, you know, how many know that North Africans are different than people that live in the south of Africa, right? Because there's more of an Arab uh, population up there. So it's a very diverse composition, the leadership team. And I really believe that this is what heaven looks like, is going to look like, right? When we, when we look at our, our nation, when we look at Perth and we see how many people are here from all the different countries of the world, we have a mission field right here. We have an opportunity to reach people right here. And so we are pleased to announce that we are going to be starting some ministry initiatives here to reach out to the newcomers that come to Australia, people that are from different countries, not only the Syrian refugees, but people from all different countries. And I'm looking for people that want to be involved in this so that we can begin to connect these new with these new people, whether it's English, whether it's helping them transition into the community. We want to do something to reach these people and so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, know the love of God, and be saved. God wants his church to be diverse. The community's diverse. The church should be diverse. I don't know how many nationalities we have here, but we have quite a few. We have quite a few. I thank God for that. We should be diverse because heaven is going to be diverse, right? Heaven is diverse from every tongue, every tribe, every language, every nation. There's going to be people around the throne of God worshiping forever and ever. Come on now. Last weekend, uh, Pastor Gary said he, he told us that he's from, his family heritage is from England. Remember? And what was his mom's favorite food? Meat and potatoes, right? Like maybe a bit of salt. That was it. But how many know that variety is the spice of life? Come on. I don't want meat and potatoes all the time, frankly. You know, I grew up with the same thing. My mom was like from World War II, meat and potatoes, no spice, no flavor, no chili, absolutely. Then I discovered something one day. It's called spice. It's called chilies. And I realized there is more to my diet than what I was raised with. And I realized that there's such a diversity. I started eating Italian food. I started eating Asian food. I started eating curries, you know, and, and even food from the Caribbean islands. Give me some Jamaican jerk, man. You know, it's good stuff. It'll burn your face off, but it's good stuff. And, you know, it's the Indian influence as well. And I just realized, look, life is much more interesting with variety. And so is the church, guys. 
Not only gifts, not only personalities, but also cultures. Hallelujah. And so we need to be intentional about reaching people. There is a, there are many people in this city that have never heard the gospel before. They come from places where the gospel is, is either very limited in its, its scope and outreach or non-existent. Now, they're here. God has brought them to us. We have no excuse. We can reach them. And again, I want to emphasize point number one. This was a movement of the entire body. It isn't the job of just the leadership in the church, of the staff in the church. This responsibility is for every one of us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? Come on now. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I'm going to stop there. I've got eight points. I've just covered two. So this may be a four-part series. All right. Hallelujah. Come on, let's raise our voice right now. Let's begin to thank Jesus. Can you just begin to thank Jesus that he's called you? Just begin to say, Lord, I thank you for calling me to preach the gospel. Come on. Thank you for calling me to preach the gospel. That doesn't mean you stand behind a pulpit. That doesn't mean that you, you do those type of things, but it means you have a responsibility to witness, to testify, to share Jesus Christ with others. And there are some of you that God is, I believe, challenging you this morning to go beyond your comfort zone, to go beyond your demographic, your country, what are you used to, what you're comfortable with, and begin to go out and to reach people, whether it's here or to another nation, to Indonesia, the Philippines, or wherever it may be. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to reach all people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have people in this city that from Muslim countries where it's, the gospel is, is very difficult. In Toronto, Canada, where we're from, so many people from Iran have gotten saved when they moved to Toronto. They've heard the gospel. They've gotten saved. They're so hungry. They're so open. It's just an amazing thing. The Syrians are here, we can reach them with the gospel, some of them. We've got the Vietnamese, former communist, technically still a communist country. Very difficult. We've got people from other nations that are here. We've got Catholics that really don't understand who Jesus is and what he did. We've got people that are just lost. They, they, maybe they even know what the gospel is, but they've refused Jesus. God has called us to be a going church, a sending church, not a sitting church. You know, so many pastors, you hear them talk about, oh, how many people do you have? You go to a conference, how many people do you have in your church? Like, do you think God's going to ask us that question on Judgment Day? That's ridiculous. It's how many people are we reaching with the gospel? And are we doing our best to reach people? As, are we as individuals doing our best to reach people? They may not become part of our church, but we can filter them into other places for discipleship purposes. That's okay. We're building the kingdom. They, they may be part of what we're doing overseas. That's an amazing opportunity for us to see. As we said, just guys, just, just a few weeks ago, you know, we saw a guy from Malaysia when we were in Singapore. He, had, he did not understand the gospel. God gave me a word of knowledge, and I spoke that word of knowledge out about a back condition. 
a spinal condition. And this guy came forward. He was in Singapore working. He had not heard the gospel. And he came forward. We prayed for him. He was instantly healed. And you should have seen the look on his face. He was blown away. He was blown away. Then we prayed with him. He's weeping. He's crying. He got baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking in tongues right there. And he came from Malaysia where he could not hear the gospel. It was illegal for him to convert, to, to quote, unquote, convert in Malaysia. He's in Singapore. He encounters Jesus. One soul. Amazing. Hundreds in the Philippines saved. Hundreds radically saved. The testimonies are coming in. They're, they're following through with Jesus. They're committed. They're praying. They're being discipled. They're coming to church. They're even inviting their friends now. It's an amazing opportunity that we have. I just want to pray before we go today. I really feel that the Lord wants us to make a fresh commitment to soul winning. A fresh commitment to soul winning, to reaching people with the gospel. Here, there, everywhere. Looking for a way to make quick cash? Making cash with DoorDash is super easy, guys. I love driving around my town, and now I can do that and get paid. Not to mention the sign-up process was so easy. Download the DoorDash driver app today to get started. Hi, I'm Dr. Andreas Michaelitis, Chief Psychologist at Noom. But what's Noom and why does Noom need a Chief Psychologist? Noom is a weight loss program that works with results that last because we know that changing the way you eat starts with your mind. With Noom's proven psychology-backed tools, one-on-one -on -one coaching, and flexible plans that emphasize progress over perfection, you'll have the tools you need to change your relationship with food. So sign up at Noom.com now and lose the weight for good. That's N-O-O-M.com.